0: People want you to succeed. It's always painful to see someone who has a a meltdown on the stage. It's just it's uncomfortable to watch because we can empathize with it. So even if you're nervous and your voice is a little shaky, recognize that people aren't going to throw rocks at you and make fun of you for being nervous.
1: Welcome to Making It to Market, the podcast where we discuss everything about taking your product or service idea through to commercialization. I'm your host, Dahlia Collada. Do you ever experience a rapid heartbeat or ever get choked up right before giving a presentation? I do. Well, what do you do to overcome that anxiety? In the last episode, we talked about building confidence through body language. Well, we're back again with Kevin Palo, president of Deliberate Consulting. He is a corporate storyteller and speaker coach extraordinaire. This is the last episode in our four-part series for Making the Pitch. If you missed the previous episodes, you may want to go back as these four parts are sequential. There's so much to learn from Kevin, so stick around till the end. Today, we'll be discussing how to overcome anxiety. Information, links, and a transcript from today's episode are available in the show notes. Let's get into it. Now, let's talk about anxiety. How do you overcome anxiety as a speaker, presenter, salesperson?
0: So let's talk about why we get anxious. All right, so what are what are the what are the physical symptoms of being nervous or anxious when you're when you're presenting?
1: Well, um, some people sweat. I would imagine um, yeah. rapid. You would spe- imagine they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, rapid speech, maybe. Yep. Um, fidgeting. Yep. I think I'm one of those. I think I fidget some.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it's that's common.
1: Going, forgetting your words. Forgetting forgetting, forgetting your purpose of being there. Yep. Uh, I'll throw a few more in for you. Sure. That's, okay. a,
0: that's a good list. But there, there's more, right? There's there's sometimes our heart is beating so hard we can actually feel
1: it. Right. You can feel it in your ears, the pounder. You feel it in your ears. Sometimes you can feel it in your chest.
0: Butterflies in our stomach.
1: Mm-hmm. Nausea. We're feeling a little bit
0: nauseous. <laughs> right. So when when we look at these symptoms, these are symptoms of your fight or flight instinct kicking in right? All animals are, are, you know, have this fight or flight instinct where when we perceive a physical risk, our body prepares to fight to the death or to run away. And so think, thinking about the symptoms, we start breathing faster and our heart starts beating harder because it's trying to get oxygen and nutrients out to the muscles and our mouth gets dry and we start speaking fast and shallow breaths Our heart's beating and we start sweating because our body knows that we're going to need to cool down. Whether we fight or whether we run, we need to cool down. Now your body doesn't need your brain, your higher function brain activity as much as it needs your muscles. So it starts robbing your frontal cortex of blood and starts sending it to your muscles. That's why sometimes when we're really stressed, we just blank on what we're supposed to be saying. Our stomach, we don't need to digest food when we're fighting or running away. So it starts, you know, taking blood away from our organs as well, which is why our stomach starts getting all squirrely. What are the other things? Um, Fidgety. So our body needs to get energy quickly to our muscles to fight or to run. So it starts kicking out a huge amount of sugar out of our liver. And now our muscles have all this nervous anxiety and fidgetiness, because your muscles suddenly have all this extra energy, and we start doing all these weird ticks and things that we never do, and we're talking to somebody in, in in the hallway, and it freaks us out it's, because <laughs> we're suddenly hyper-aware
1: that we even have hands. Yes, yes.
0: Right? You know, what, what the hell am I doing with these things? So if you were watching the Zoom right now, you'd be laughing because I'm doing all these weird little ticks <laughs> with my hands and face. So it's, it's you know, these are all symptoms of that fight-or-flight instinct kicking in.
1: I, I forget to breathe. Yeah. I forget to breathe. Like you said, shallow, but sometimes I'll, I just won't, I'll stop breathing. And it's. Yeah. And then, I, then you got to take the. Yeah. And I can't have a complete sentence because I have no air. So I have to really force myself to stop and take some deep breaths before I continue. And it helps slow, slow me down too. Helps offer clarity to what I'm going to say next.
0: Yeah, Agreed. Breathing, breathing can help a lot. The reason I'm bringing all this up is I want you to understand this, you know, the anxiety is just a physiological response, it's completely normal. That's one of the things that can help is once you recognize this isn't about you and you're just nervous and scared, it's because you're perceiving going out on the stage as a threat and it's a natural reaction. So I will say that pretty much with research I've seen, everyone has this curve where as soon as they find out they're presenting, they automatically start with a a level of anxiety. As they approach the start of the presentation, their anxiety starts spiking. It spikes and hits the highest point right when we start speaking, and then it starts going down. Everyone exhibits this, even professional speakers. It's just their curve and their spike is a lot lower because they're more accustomed to it. So the bad news is anxiety won't go away completely. The great news is we can learn to manage it so it's not nearly as painful or difficult. So let's talk about that spike going up. So as we get closer to our, to our start, our anxiety starts ramping up and suddenly we notice we've got sweaty palms. And we're, we're standing there thinking, oh shit, I'm nervous everyone's going to see that I'm sweating. And then our anxiety ramps up even more because we're worried people are going to see that we're anxious. And now our heart starts beating and we start getting the weird fidgety stuff. Oh my God, I'm, my hands are shaking and then our anxiety you know, cranks up even more. It's like this ratchet effect. And so the, what we want to do is we want to try to keep that ratcheting effect from going up. So again, recognizing this is a natural reaction, recognize everyone feels it to one degree or another, but with, more exposure and experience, that level of anxiety does go down. Three, I want you to recognize that your audience doesn't recognize just how nervous you are. You know you're sweating, but you're feeling it directly. They may see your voice is kind of shaky or hands are a little shaky, but it's funny. The workshops when people present during my workshops that I give some of them, I can tell they're nervous. And I'll ask, on a level of one to 10, how nervous are you? Oh my God, I was a seven. But you go back and you watch your video because I record you presenting or I ask other people in the room, what, how, how, how nervous do you think she looks? Skill of one to 10. Oh, maybe a three. And so we look a lot less nervous than we feel. And once we recognize people don't see it or don't recognize just how nervous we are, that helps keep us from ratcheting up.
1: That is helpful because you do think everyone is, you know, putting you under a microscope and seeing all of your gestures and your sweat and your uh, yeah. unstable voice and your fidgety. You, everyone's looking at you. Me. Think They're that, all see yeah, me. yeah. Because then you become preoccupied with that type of judgment. That you again, you make it makes it worse. You forget your message, right? For, you forget the timing.
0: People, we're worried about people seeing us in this vulnerable state rather than what we're we're trying to to say.
1: That's such a good point.
0: And so that's another reason why you you should record yourself when you're practicing um, or have someone record you while you're actually in the event. You can see it afterwards. You'll see, you don't look nearly as nervous as you felt. The next thing is I want you to recognize that even if people do see that you're nervous, most of them can empathize with you. Mm -hmm. I would rather have her up there on the stage than me. (laughs) I'm nervous when I speak too. And you know, the number one fear if you look at cdc studies number one fear of of americans is public speaking more so than heights more so than spiders and snakes more so than dying
1: is that because so, of the judgment that we perceive people have of us yes,
0: yes. Oh. yeah it's it, it's crazy right so but you know even if you are exhibiting some anxiety people want you to succeed it's always painful to see someone who has a a meltdown on the stage. It's just, it's uncomfortable to watch because we can empathize with it. So even if you're nervous and your voice is a little shaky, recognize that people aren't going to throw rocks at you and make fun of you for being nervous. Now, sometimes there is just a straight out jerk in the audience and they may say something stupid. Oh, you're scared. But for most of us or for most people in the audience, they can empathize that you're nervous up there. And if, you're, if your voice is shaky or your hands were really shaky, again, you can address, address it with the audience. You can say, hey, I'm more nervous than I thought I was going to be. And everyone will kind of laugh and say, yeah, I understand. I've been there, right? And so you're acknowledging that you're nervous, and that can take some of that edge off as well. Then the next thing I want you to recognize that helps that helps me a lot is realizing or recognizing that as soon as you start talking, the anxiety starts dropping. And you ask people, you know, hey, were you nervous? Yeah, I was really nervous. Did your anxiety go away once you got up there? Well, yeah, I guess I was two or three slides in and I was just talking and I wasn't wasn't nervous about it anymore. But on the ramp up, all you can feel is the anxiety. You're not thinking 10 minutes ahead when things are coming down. But once you realize that the worst, most painful part is going to be over with as soon as you start, that can help. So all these little things, all these realizations can help. Things that also help are practicing. So practicing this specific message, particularly the first three to five minutes. If you can practice that out loud many times to the point where you can almost do it in your sleep, if you can get through that in your real actual presentation, by the time you get through the first three to five minutes, you're already on the downward slope and you're thinking clearly again. So by practicing your message, making sure that you know what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, the order you're going to say it for the whole thing, but particularly the first few minutes, really helps with, with reducing anxiety or the effects of anxiety. Yeah. When you're on the and
1: speech. then you'll have that confidence now, and just the confidence will help that as well.
0: Yes. And then I want I, I encourage people that are nervous to find more opportunities to practice getting in front of a room in general. Find more opportunities to present so that it doesn't trigger as as strong a reaction. When I was in marketing and when I was in sales before I was a corporate storyteller, I found that if months went by between presentations, all that self-doubt came creeping back in. And so Mm -hmm. I needed to find opportunities to speak, whether it was at the beginning of a meeting, kicking things off and introducing the speaker or in the oil and gas industry, you always start a meeting with the safety moment. I would volunteer to do the safety moment before someone else's presentation. Um, you know, finding opportunities to speak at, at conferences; those all help me be more accustomed to being in front of the room. So, if you're a nervous speaker, I encourage you find opportunities, even if it's just for a minute or two at the beginning of a meeting, to get up and speak, just so you get accustomed to it. Other things, power posing. So, if you do a, a a Google search for Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y, and power posing, you'll find a bunch of videos uh, from her. There is a great one done by Time Magazine. It's probably about 10 years old now, but she's also got some TED Talks. She's got a book, and she has some great research around the impact of posture. So, Conventional wisdom is people look confident when they feel confident. Well, they also feel confident when they look confident. And what she found is that in primates, if you take up more physical space, so think of the wonder woman pose with your arms on your hips, with your feet spread apart, or someone at a desk with their, with their hands behind their head and their arms out at their side, taking up more physical space is a sign of dominance. What that does when we make those poses is our body starts producing testosterone. Testosterone reduces stress. If we take up less physical space, so our arms are crossed, our legs are crossed, we're hunched over, we make ourselves smaller, we end up dosing ourselves with cortisol, which is a stress hormone. It makes us more anxious. So her recommendation is before you speak, take up more space. So if you're, let's say you're in a team presentation, your your colleague is going next. If you're the, no, your colleague's up there now, you're going next. Before you walk out to, to the front of the room, stand on the side of the room doing the Wonder Woman pose for two minutes. And then when you walk up to present, you've already pre-dosed your system with stress-reducing hormone. She doesn't recommend you present like Wonder Woman; you <laughs> look like a lunatic, right? But you do it before you get up there. Wow. The worst thing you can do is before you go up to speak to be hunched over your notes or, or over your phone and making yourself small, because now you're pre-dosing yourself with more stress. So really interesting stuff. And you, you think about this. You know, people who are waiting to go in for a job interview are typically in the hallway, hunched over, looking at their resume or looking at their phone, and they're doing the worst thing they can possibly do before they're going in for an important interview.
1: Wow, never thought about that.
0: Power posing. We try it, you know, so I get nervous when I'm in front of a room as well, particularly if if it's a new customer. And I've got, you know, a different case study I'm showing, and I'm not exactly sure if the value that I'm going to be presenting is is a fit for them or some of their specific examples. I'm a little bit nervous about that. And I tend to power pose before I go out and start talking. It seems to help.
1: That's an amazing idea. I've never thought about that before.
0: Yeah. It's cool research. Yeah. So go out and do a search for Amy Cuddy and power posing. Watch, you know, watch one of those videos you know, about five, 10 minutes long. It's really, really interesting stuff.
1: I'm going to practice my
0: wonder woman. <laughs> you practice your wonder woman. And, and to the point you made with breathing, breathing exercises can help as well. If you're, you know, waiting to go up in front of the room or up on the stage and your anxiety starting to, to spike and you're breathing fast, take slow deep breaths you know you know i've i've heard one person say they they cover one of their nostrils and they breathe in and they try to do like a 15 or 20 second you know counted breath slow breath in hold and then release out through the other nostril and just by concentrating on their breathing it's not the breathing itself it's the concentrating on the breathing that helps reduce reduce their anxiety and get them recentered.
1: You know, um actually breathing techniques like that can actually reduce blood pressure too, like considerably. Just after yep. maybe 2 minutes of cycling breathing in and holding at the top and then breathing out and holding at the bottom, you can just instantly reduce your blood pressure. So it's a physiological response to breathing too. It's not just collecting your yeah. breath. It, yeah. There's a whole systemic response to it. Yeah, right? it's interesting.
0: So there's things that we can do to help reduce all these little things can help reduce that anxiety. And the funny thing is, by reducing the anxiety a little bit, we're also reducing the height of the spike, but also the ratcheting that
1: happens. Mm-hmm.
0: All this stuff really adds up and helps sure a lot. Sure does. Sure does. And then the, finally, you know, the 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 reason why it's so important to try to manage that anxiety too, or address the anxiety, is let's get back to lizard brain in the audience. One of the problems is that when they sense that you are nervous, lizard brain picks that up as you lying. You're nervous because you're not telling the truth. That, that's not the case. It's just because you're nervous, right? But that's the way it can be received sometimes. So we do want to try to make sure we're, we're tamping that down.
1: Yeah, so people build trust with confidence, they, can, they build trust in your message and you as a person through your body language, through your articulation, through your ability to control the, the moment. Because yeah. if you're a speaker, you are in control of that moment. And it's like you said, when you walk in with a smile, people are smiling back because you're in control of that moment. So if you're exhibiting anxiety, that's not comfortable for the other person on the other side that's listening right. to you because
0: people people who are who are actively listening tend to mirror they'll mirror body language you smile they smile you cross your arms they cross their arms you come in looking really nervous and, un- and unhappy well you know they just may start feeling nervous and unhappy too
1: Is that a kind of a goal for a speaker is to see the people in the audience or you know whoever you're speaking to mimic your body language
0: to me it's a good it's a good sign right when i see that they mimic my body language to me it's a sign that okay they're connecting with what I'm saying and they're connecting with me. So it, it, again, interesting research here, you know, the mirror neurons where when people mimic body language, their thoughts are also tend to be aligned as well. So if, if, if they're mimicking your body language, what that means is they are actively listening to what you're saying. That's a good sign. Yeah. And body language is, 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 is interesting. So, you know, being able to read your audience is important. And so that's another reason why we want to make eye contact. You want to see their facial expressions. We want to look at their body language. And, you know, that's one of the things I miss with COVID and doing almost everything over Zoom now versus being in person is that when I say something that I know is touching a sore point, I can tell because I'll say something and I'll see people in the audience turn and look at each other. right this is something they've already talked about or they've experienced they don't do that in zoom because everyone's just staring at a screen right but in person you know you know to me it again it's a it's a signal that i've hit on something that resonates with them when they make eye contact with each other immediately right so i i that's something i like to see something that i really miss in zoom but also i can tell sometimes when people are uncomfortable and so if, you know, I want to raise a negative aspect, you know, maybe, maybe they have a concern about my product or my solution or my idea, but they're too polite to say anything, but I can kind of read people start crossing their arms and, and leaning back and frowning. Sometimes I'll stop and say, hey, you know, John, I, it looks like you're uncomfortable with that thought. I'd love, I'd love to hear what you're thinking. And John may say, well, no, actually, I was just thinking you know, I like the idea. I'm thinking about how, how I would implement that. Well, at least you're giving them, a, one, a chance to, to agree with, their, with your concern, or you're getting them to voice that, no, actually, I like it, but I was thinking about the complexity of how I do it. That opens up a whole other range of conversation, right? And then again, it's getting them to engage and engage both with the message and with you. So I, I would encourage if you see people who are showing some discomfort in the audience, don't call them out, but ask them, Hey, it looks like you're uncomfortable with this. What are you thinking? that can be a valuable tool.
1: Yeah. I, I, that's actually a, a way to take the energy off of you back onto somebody else too. Yep. And it also helps funnel your conversation in a more strategic way. Because how yep. would you know that that person Ha- was interested, but just didn't know how to apply it. Cause that's a g- practical use case that other people in the audience might want to know.
0: Yep. Or if he's worried about that, that's probably something they're worried about too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So being able to voice those things is good. And, you know, and if you did your message right and you, and you know your customer well, well you probably know what their concerns are going to be, or why they wouldn't pick you. And if you don't address those concerns and they don't mention it, during, the, during the, the meeting, well, now you've lost an opportunity to, to help them overcome those objections or those concerns. They don't come up unless you ask.
1: I'm with Kevin Palo of deliberateconsulting.com. Stick around till after the break. You don't want to miss his advice for how to handle a heckler. We'll be right back. situation when there's multiple people in a meeting and there's this one person that is having a lot of comments and not necessarily positive one or contributing in a positive way they might be just a huge distraction to your message to other people in the room um almost not necessarily heckling but they could be how do you handle a person like that
0: it's it's difficult and it depends on who the person is what i mean is are they the decision maker? Because if they're the economic decision maker, you can't just shut them down because they're the ones who are going to say yes or no. But what, so, so I, I, this happens all the time. There's that guy who has to add his opinion or outlook or two cents or context or or you know plays the devil's advocate on every single thing that you say or anyone else says in the room. I've all seen that guy, and he is a you know. And you can humor him for you know the first couple of times, but after after a few times, it just gets tedious, and they're they're disrupting the the flow, not just of your message, but of the of the of the whole meeting, of the
1: whole thing. And they're sucking your energy too. Yeah. Well, the thing
0: is, again, if you're making eye contact with people, you'll see his peers start to roll their eyes. Oh boy, here we go again, right? And believe me, they're sick of of his devil's advocacy just as much as you are. So they're not doing it just to be an ass or just to be heard. They've got some underlying concern. So we want to empathize with them. We want to try to help them understand it. But if someone is being really disruptive or just won't let something go, one of the things you can do is just, you know, look to the group and say, okay, John, clearly you and I aren't aren't aligned here. Can is it okay if we have a one-on-one afterwards and discuss this? So that's one way to kind of take it off and, and be able to, to have the conversation with him separately so that he's not dragging down the entire group. Or you can say to the group, you know, we, we've only got another 30 minutes left and we're having a lot of discussion here. As a group, do we want to keep discussing this? Is this a big concern for, for your team? Or do we want to move on and make sure we cover the other the other stuff that we had planned to cover? That's great and advice. And 95% of the time, people will say, good God, let, let's, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll table this. Yes, please keep going. Because again, they're sick of hearing John complain too. Does
1: mm-hmm. that make sense? That's great advice. Yeah. So
0: ask the group. And if it really becomes egregious, you know, we can do, you know, you know, what people tend to call a parking lot on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper. You can have topics that need more discussion and we'll, OK, let's let's put this in the parking lot so we can discuss later.
1: Oh, That's such a great suggestion.
0: And so then it keeps a yeah. list. Everyone can see here's the things that we still want to talk about but we're not going to belabor the point
1: now. Right, right. And they don't have to keep bringing it up because it's tabled and everyone can see that it's that's, th- right. that's such a, a great technique to put it on a board like that. Not just say, hey, let's talk about it later, but actually have a visual of all the things you want to talk about later or offline or one-on-one. That's such a great idea.
0: Well, and one way to think about it is you're validating their concerns.
1: Yes. You're
0: putting it on a list and they can see that you're, yes. you're enough to actually write it down, right? Yeah. And then the, the final point here or point I like to make here is don't try to change that guy's mind on the spot in that meeting. Because the reality is we, we're going to end up backing him into a corner if we try to attack it with logic and data and other stuff right now. We don't need to change his mind right now. What we need to do is keep him from infecting the rest of the room with negativity or or pushback against your idea. And that's where a lot of people go wrong is when they get objections, they try to, to argue the point and win the argument. But what they end up doing is just alienating most of the room. We're sitting there for five minutes, listening to this back and forth. And it's, you know, they're not getting what they need from the rest of the presentation. because They're just hearing this back and forth and it that shows negatively on you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So quit trying to win <laughs> and try to protect, you know, most of the room from, from any negativity.
1: And I I think it goes back to you being in control of the situation too. Yep. Because I think regardless if you're on site at a meeting with somebody else's, somebody else's office, you're still in control of that meeting. It's your meeting. And it's a sign of this guy is confident. He knows how to manage the difficult things. And it's, you get more credibility, I think.
0: Agreed. Well, and even if,
1: even if you can't
0: control the meeting and that other guy, you can still control your own response. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are you coming across as reasonable or are you coming across as just, you've got to win? Cause most people don't want to work with someone who has to win. Mm. Right. They want to work with someone who's enjoyable to be around, who's reasonable, et cetera.
1: Absolutely. Well, cool. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love the conversation about body language and voice and uh, using the tools that we come with and just kind of refining that. But it's so important, like you say, to practice that so you can really, you, you might have an idea of how you're presenting, but until you actually hear it um, from a recording, it's really hard to, your perception might not match the reality is what I'm saying. What are the six inches of doom?
0: Six inches of doom. It's easier when you can see, the, when you can see the, the video, but essentially the six inches of doom is the six inches between your brain and your mouth. Okay. Right? So what makes perfect sense when we're thinking about something doesn't necessarily make perfect sense when we say it. Here's where that's a problem. Lots of people, when they think they're practicing, they're practicing in their head. They're thinking what they're going to say, but thinking it and saying it are two different things. So what that means is when you're practicing, you have to say it out loud or it doesn't count as practice. It's just thinking about it. I encourage you to practice in as realistic situation as possible. So if you're presenting to a group of people, try to get a group of people to present to 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 practice with even if they're colleagues and you're just preparing to go in front of a room of customers, or if you're going to be presenting on zoom, well do your practice through zoom. Cause it's not just the slides. You've got to know, you know, are you dealing with the chat box, making sure that you're able to share the content, advance the content, you know, all that takes time, takes some effort, takes some, some, some bandwidth of yours. And so practice in the same environment that that you're going to be delivering in for real or as close to it as possible.
1: That's great advice. If you can't do that,
0: then at least record yourself with your phone or with your laptop. And then when you go back, I I want you to review your presentation, because what's the point of recording it if you don't review it? And there's a couple of ways that that you can do it a couple of different ways you can do it. One is watch and listen. Just Do you notice anything? But if you really want to get into the body language part, mute your video and watch yourself.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. If it's on a recording,
0: can you, you know, sometimes you have the ability to play it back at faster speed, like two X or four X. And that's really where you're going to see repetitive motions. Texas two-step or the the (laughs) knife hand or the counting, because you're doing it so quickly, those patterns become very, very apparent. So if you're looking at body language, stop listening to yourself and just watch yourself. If you want to you know, really pay close attention to what you're saying and how you're saying it, how you're using your voice, well, maybe you don't look at the screen, you just listen to yourself, right? So depending on how much how much feedback you want, you know, you can really hyper-focus on different elements of it.
1: This is, it's so overwhelming. <laughs> There's so many things that you have to watch and pay attention to and be good at just to say a message for 10 minutes. It's, it's amazing. Well,
0: and, and, and here's where I caution people. People see, you know, they, they, they think about body language, voice, and, oh my God, my slides and, and my message. And it, it is, it's overwhelming. And if it's overwhelming, that means you're not going to be able to do anything to improve it because you're overwhelmed with it. So, when you're trying to get better, let's say, you know, the biggest thing you notice that's distracting for the audience is your filler words. Well, focus first. What advice do you give to someone who's going
1: going into this and who's nervous? And then,
0: once you've got a pretty good handle on that, well, then maybe it's, you know, I talk too fast. Okay, then start working on that until that's manageable. And then maybe it's, you know, I'm, I'm doing the Texas two-step. Okay, well, then focus on fixing that in the next presentation. Don't try to fix it all at once. Figure out one thing that's most distracting and tr- work on reducing or eliminating that. One thing at a time.
1: That's good advice. The goal is
0: not to be perfect. The goal is to get better each time.
1: That's that's comforting because that's a lot of pressure to have everything perfect right off the bat. Yeah. And,
0: and the reality is you're never going to get to perfection. There's always things we can do to improve, and that's good. We right. want to keep improving, but we're also human, right? We're not robots. We're not actors.
1: So, Kevin, is this something that you coach people on? Yes. Presenting on stage and presenting in general?
0: Yes. So I I focus on the messaging side because that's where most people struggle. There's a lot of of training out there for general presentation skills. I I try not to to get too deep into that. Um, But because I'm coaching people on how to be better at the messaging side, well, I've got to be able to help them when it comes to their delivery as well. And so, in the training, yes, we talk about all these things we talked about today. Uh, when people practice presenting in the workshops, you know, we give feedback and coaching on the body language and voice, in addition to their message. But when I'm doing consulting and coaching for a specific message, so you know, the uh, company is going in to pitch you know, a 20 million or 200 million dollar contract. And they've got a big team presentation that they've got to give, you know, I'll come in, I'll coach them on building a better message, make sure that their media is focused and clean. Like we talked about, you know, not having too much content on a slide and then I'll run them through the practices and we'll do dry runs and address rehearsal and complete with practicing being interrupted with questions. Wow. So that they're prepared for the actual meeting itself. And again, part of that is helping some of the presenters manage their anxiety and certainly helping all of them, you know, smile when they're they're in front of the room or when they're on the camera and some of the body language issues, just to make sure that when it comes time for the actual pitch, they've been through it. They know, you know, what to expect. They know how they're going to hand off. They know how the rest of the team is presenting some of those best practices. And it really helps with team cohesion uh, and also personal comfort level. So,
1: yeah. I think that any business or any executive or presenter or salesperson really should put that investment into their persona and into their image, I think, because it makes them have a good footing. It gives them a good foundation to go forward on because it's one thing to have a management position and be a lousy presenter and you lose that respect and credibility and then try to get it back after you've lost it. Yeah. So it, make, it makes sense to kind of have that investment into a coach or somebody who's a, an expert at this because uh, not everybody's an expert at everything. I mean, right. we sometimes think we want to be, but it's just never going to happen. Agreed. So bringing, bringing on a coach to set the foundation for your message, for your presentation, for your image, I think is, uh, it's, it's a really critical, especially in leadership.
0: Well, I I agree. Well, I, I wouldn't say not just, for, I mean, certainly for leadership, but for technical people as well. And for people early in their career and certainly salespeople. Right. And what's, what I find, one of the things I find fascinating is lots of times client organizations want to send me people who really are struggling with their messaging and with their presentation skills and I, I can help them but it's also really important to send people who are good at presenting and make them just a little bit better because you know it, it kind of the 80 20 rule right 20 percent of your sales force is going to sell 80 of your of your revenue well what if you're able to increase the productivity of your top 20% just a little bit. That has huge ramifications on your bottom line.
1: Yeah, why wouldn't you start with a good foundation? Does it make sense? Yeah, and, 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 and I can help
0: people who are who are really anxious and, and, and don't have great skills. I can help them be better, but I can help really good presenters be great. And that's important too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned that you obviously you do like one-on-one type of coaching, like one you versus the company, but do you ever get people in a room and do like a workshop setting to where everyone can come in with this objective of getting a message and becoming a good speaker?
0: Well, and that's what the, what the workshops do. So sometimes they're for a specific client. So, you know, a, a sales team at company XYZ will, will bring me in to, to train their team or portions of their team. But I also do open workshops where people from different organizations come in. So what, what that enables is it enables people who, you know, are in smaller organizations, right? If I set up a workshop for a company, I've got to have 10 people on there. Whereas if they're coming from a, a a company with only five employees, well, that, that's impossible for them. So having these open workshops is a really good way to give individuals and small teams the opportunity to come. Uh, or, you know, if, you know, someone from a larger organization missed the training for whatever reason, they can come to an open workshop. And it's really interesting the different dynamics in an open workshop, because in an open workshop, you've got people from different industries and different companies and the dynamic is really different because people are hearing about stuff they've never heard of before, and they don't know your products. They don't know your industry. And they will ask a ton of questions, which forces the presenter then to get out of the molecular level and bring it up to a 30,000-foot view that anyone can understand. And, and, you know, that's important. You know, You know, some advice I have for people just in general is, your presentation should be able to be understood by a random person sitting next to you on an airplane. The level of technical detail should be an average person off the street. If they want more detail, they'll ask. And by having these open workshops, people who don't understand drilling fluids or don't understand, um, you know, the CBD market, being able to talk to them you know, and, and address, you know, their concerns and questions. That's a good thing.
1: Your workshops, your open workshops. Do you do that? How do you do that? When do you do that? Do you have anything upcoming? I, I
0: do them about every three months or so. And right now, most of them are scheduled to be done remotely. So over Zoom.
1: Oh, that's convenient. Yeah. Well,
0: since COVID that's just, just been the reality. Yeah. Almost everything yeah. is, has gone to virtual. I, I prefer face-to-face, but, but we, you know, I, we've, sh- we've shifted almost completely to, to doing it remote. We do have a face-to-face scheduled for June. I believe okay. we do those okay. once or twice a year, but again, since COVID really hit, it's, it's, you know, it's mostly been, been, been remote and, you know, let's talk about remote in general. So one of the, one of the challenges with remote is that people tend to take a standard presentation that they would give face-to-face and then they just share their screen in Zoom. And what that typically means is that presentations that were mediocre to begin with are absolutely painful to sit through in Zoom. And so when it comes to Zoom as presenters, we have to optimize our delivery and our content for Zoom or Teams or go to go to meeting or whatever, whatever platform you're using, our delivery needs to be optimized for the remote environment. Right. So there are different things that, you know, because the rules change a bit. Right. I, I can't blank the screen when I'm in Zoom because people will go into Outlook, for example. Mm-hmm. I've got to rearrange my content. So in a you know typical open workshop, if it's face to face, it'll be three full days. I would kill people if I tried to keep them on Zoom for eight hours at a time. <laughs> but instead, I have five half days. There's a little bit less content, and I rearrange the content a little bit. But, you know, even, you know, it's funny, people, you know, hear four hours on Zoom, they're like, oh, my God, that would be awful. But the, the survey results have been actually better than face-to-face.
1: Yeah, if you're the example of keeping people engaged, you have to. Yeah, well, and yeah, people people are coming to you to learn to be engaged, so you have to be engaging.
0: I have to drink my own champagne, right? <laughs> I've got to demonstrate, yes. and I think the reason the the survey results are higher for Zoom is because people have such a low expectation that it's easy to beat expectations.
1: I personally learn more being immersed into an experience versus having it as oh, by the way, there's a Zoom meeting right now. I, I'd rather be in that environment face-to-face to attend a workshop because it's so Im- immersive and you, you can really hear people's conversations and the, when they're working on their project and you, you miss that. You miss that learning element. So mm-hmm. I, I, I hope to attend one of your workshops in person. That'd be really fun. Awesome. Yeah.
0: I would love to see well, you well.
1: Okay. So if somebody wants to participate, they would go to your website. Yes. Um deliberateconsulting.com to learn more about the workshops. Yeah, and if they want
0: to yeah, find it easier, deliberateconsulting.com slash open.
1: Open for the open workshops. Yep. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kevin, for your time once again and for sharing your insight. I have quite a bit of editing to do.
0: I know we, we've done four hours in the last two days.
1: <laughs> You've given me a lot, which is amazing. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Don't forget to check out Kevin on LinkedIn and visit his website, DeliberateConsulting.com. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe to Making It to Market wherever you listen to podcasts or listen from our website, MakingItToMarket.com. Thank you for your honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and a special thanks to our listeners and show sponsors. Without your support, I wouldn't be able to do this. As you know, making it to market is a new show and I need your help to get the word out. Feel free to share links to your favorite episodes. You don't want to miss the next one. If there's a topic you'd like to hear, have a comment or even a question you'd like for me to address. Feel free to leave me a voice message on our podcast phone line. And if we air your question or comment in an upcoming episode, we'll send you a making it to market t-shirt or mug. Details are in the show notes. Till the next time, make decisions that make a difference.